Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 54, The Morning After. Is it really 54? Yeah. Feels like 53. (laughs) Living in the past, Jen. Living in the past. I am your host, Jesse Kiefer. And I'm Jen Tellick. In studio today, a man I'm so excited to speak with, Howard Chua Iwan, news director for Time Magazine and Time.com. He's also one of the most solidly regular restaurant goers I know I respect his opinion and I can't wait to talk to him about uh, regular restaurant culture because it certainly is something here in New York City if you could see the beads of sweat forming on Jesse's lip out of the sheer and uh, anxiety over pronouncing Howard's name but you, well, I thought you did. A, did she do a good job? She did a very good job. Perfect. Well, I phonetically wrote it. Just the way my father out. would do it. <laughs> just the way your father would. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. It's well, his name. Howard was telling me that uh, you know someone had asked him uh, phonetically how to spell spell his name, and and what did they say to you about it? They said, uh, "Oh, Chua Iwan, is that your Jedi name?" <laughs> <laughs> I want a it Jedi is. name. We're gonna have to get on that later. Jedi fur. Speaking of later. <laughs> We have a couple of treats today on the morning after. Um, later on, we're going to visit everyone's favorite mythical restaurant featuring all bad food and wine trends of days gone by, Chardonnay's. Uh, but first, oh, that's right. Where did that come from? Wow. It's almost as if someone had woken up early this morning to make a jingle just for Chardonnay's. <laughs> Chardonnay's needed a jingle, and it will be forever ingrained in, in people's minds. Oh, oh, wow. there it is again. What's on the menu with but first, uh, today actually marks the beginning of a three-part installment. We are beginning here in the morning after, called Front of House, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It's your it's front of house. It's a front of house. <laughs> it is front of house. Because, you know, a regular front of house is fine by itself, but that's not enough for us. Chronicling the various mishaps and oopsie-daisies of the restaurant world, which just not be enough. We want the pain. We want the pain. So tell us your best bloody restaurant injury tale, because starting today, ladies and gentlemen, front of house is officially open for submissions. That is right. You, too, can have your voice heard. Send us your tales of woe, and we will read them on air live right here at The Morning After. Email us at morningafter.foh at gmail.com. That's morningafter.foh. F-O-H at gmail.com and you can finally avenge that time in the sixth grade your science question was not read on Beekman's World which is a hypothetical situation that I am making that up. you might have been me. in that you might care. have been in not, yeah. it doesn't matter that sounds it doesn't like a matter it's not about me account. it's fine I wanted to know the difference between gas and ice it doesn't matter and so it is with great pleasure that we present to you our first edition of Front of House Blood, Sweat and Tears Joe the music please it's your favorite story it's front of house, it's a front of house. Once I worked at a soul food restaurant, and no, I'm not kidding, 
I loved it. Soul Food Cafe X was a randy little Brooklyn joint with a small but impressive menu and personality for days. I spent my mornings there as a lunch server and coffee wench, making small talk with the locals as they'd shuffle in and out for their daily fix. The clientele was relaxed, the music was always good, and the scones were football-sized. I was in heaven there, and as I sipped my triple mint soy mocha one morning, I thought, you know, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the job I keep for a while. Sure, I thought. I'll sweep in the morning, close up at night, make precious handwritten signs detailing our quiche of the day, and take the owner's kids to the Natural History Museum. This was my Meg Ryan job, you see, the shop around the corner. I could wear pencil skirts to the farmer's market. I could get a cat! Like all pipe dreams of an idle mind, mine were soon to be crushed. Brunch that Sunday was particularly busy, and though the heat had reached the upper 90s, no air conditioning had been turned on. Owner X, you see, was a jovial woman from Jamaica who pinched her pennies where she saw fit. That day, it was the AC. I still found a bounce in my step, and I skipped around the small dining room, refilling coffees and humming along to the Otis Redding record. A lady from one of my tables was returning from the bathroom and whispered in passing, uh, You're out of TP in there. Okay, no problem, I chirped. Meg Ryan has no problems, you see. The paper goods in Soul Cafe X were stacked on a shelf just beside the bathroom door. Coffee urn in one hand, I went on tiptoes to reach for a roll of toilet paper. The Otis Redding record began skipping. As I turned to look at the record player on the bar, I lost my balance and grabbed at the wall to brace myself, just barely sliding my fingers between the open crease between the open bathroom door and the wall. It was then that jovial owner X, bounding through the cafe to greet a regular, closed the bathroom door, pinching my hand in the now-closed crevice. As the Reading record began playing again, I unhinged my jaw like a desert python to let out a single-pitched scream. Owner X, realizing what had happened, opened the door immediately. With one giant hand around my injured wrist and the other around my waist, she ushered me back to the kitchen. Our drag queen-turned-pastry chef, D, was rolling dough. Owner X asked for a bucket of ice. D complied. I was choking on my own cries now, losing all my carefully applied Meg Ryan makeup. Get me a shot of tequila, barked Owner X. The confused bartender appeared with the requested shot and stared at my bloody hand. All the color drained from his face as he whispered, Um, is your nail gone? Huh. So it was. The ice bucket was ready now, and I realized my hand was about to be in it. I grabbed the shot of tequila from Owner X and I downed it. Fine, I said. I'm ready. Owner X looked at me for a moment with pure sorrow. She blinked, grabbed my mangled hand, and dunked it in the ice. There's no cursing in Meg Ryan films, so let's just say I yelled fiddlesticks for the whole restaurant to hear. My injury put me out of work for a full week. In an effort to cheer me up, my friend Douglas visited me with a bag of gummy bears and a stack of DVDs. Come on, girl, let's get drunk and watch You've Got Mail. <laughs> Fiddlestick you, life. Fiddlestick you. <laughs> Yet another riveting installment of Front of House. This could be you. This could be you, America. I mean, it sounds like every server's dream to be a front of house star. I think it is every mammal's dream, <laughs> if I may. Speaking of mammals, we're going to take a break on the morning after here and come back with Howard Chua Iwan, news director for Time Magazine, time.com.
listening to I Get By by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Did you know that pollinators are needed for more than two-thirds of the world's crop species? Most of these pollinators are bees. However, North America's bee population has been steadily declining since the 1990s. Whether you live in the country or the city, you can show your commitment by hosting a hive in your backyard or even on a rooftop. The beekeeping movement is growing, so you're sure to find swarms of folks who can help you find your way. Learn more about the ways you can help be the solution at WholeFoodsMarket.com slash share the buzz. Welcome back to the morning after. In studio with us today, Howard Chua Iwan, news director for Time Magazine Nailed and Time.com. I am... You're I, very good. Well, very consistent. I'll never forget now. It's it's in my head. I mean, maybe when I wake up tomorrow, I'll be like, oh, how... Wait, how did I pronounce his name? Oh, no. Fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks. <laughs> oh, how do guys. I pronounce that? Uh, well, thank you so much for being here, Howard. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, so, news director for Time Magazine and Time.com. Kind of give us an overview of, of what that entails. Uh, what I tell people I do is uh, I send people to places they'd rather not go to. Uh, but usually most of the people I work with uh, beg to go to certain really dangerous places. And I have to try to tell them I really don't want you there right now because it's too dangerous. Uh, but they are some of the best professionals in, the, in, in journalism. And they do a very good job. They're very careful, not only with themselves and how they and where they go, but how they report. So it's a pleasure to work with these people. So as news director, you are, you're basically, are, are the journalists coming to you with the story and then you're deciding whether it's newsworthy and, and that's something that they should be going to do or are you also pitching these to, to different journalists? I give them ideas, but a lot of times they come to me since they're out in the real world. They, mm-hmm. come, they come to me with the ideas. Uh, I'd like to go to Aleppo. I'd like to go to this place outside of Kabul in Afghanistan. Uh, I'd like to, or I'd like to go and do the story on Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And so, you've, so we were talking earlier, you've been with, with Time since, uh, since 1983, right? Yes. When were you born? 1983. As see. was I. As oh, was Jen. See. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh, how old. Well, oh, that's no. <laughs> now our listenership won't know that I'm not 21. Oh, well. It's fine. Yeah. They, they couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so since 1983, do you feel as though uh, journalists have become kind of more aggressive about going to those far off places, going to the to, to do the, the dangerous story? Do you feel like that's a, uh, something that has has kind of evolved or has it always been there, that there way? have always been uh, journalists who want to do this. Uh, it's interesting in the last 10, 15 years uh, that uh, there have always been a mix of both genders wanting to go and do dangerous stories. But now it's, it's almost 50-50. Women as much as men, and in most cases, most of the people that I have in dangerous places are women. Uh, and they're very good and very, 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 very sensitive about everything that they do. Their safety as well as the stories that they're reporting. And do they, do they go 
as a reporter, or they kind of go in a more undercover style, or does it? I mean, it it kind of goes across. It can the board. go. It can go both ways. Uh, there are people who uh, they have the advantage of speaking the language, so they can blend into the area by speaking. Or there are people from those countries mm-hmm. who, who are fluent in both English and their native languages, and then they can report for us. I, I always wonder, you know, obviously you're, in your title is Time Magazine and Time.com. I wonder it, how prevalent the gap between um, types of journalists is given people's acuity or lack thereof with media. Like, you, you're, obviously you have younger journalists coming in, and that's been a part of their education from day one. That's their first-hand tool. That's, you know, they're, they're fluid in that. Mm-hmm. And if you have perhaps someone that's from an older school of journalism, I wonder if that, if everyone's sort of snapped to the middle and is it's just a common language now, or... Working for both the web and for print? Right. Uh, at a time, it's, it's been very successfully meshed, I think, compared to what I've heard to, uh, at, uh, at other places. Uh, people know that the very first and immediate need of the organization are, is web stories, because that's the first thing that we do. And we look at what happened and what we do and uh, what we put on the website, and that's our first line of figuring out what we want to put in the magazine. So a story breaks, a mm-hmm. huge story, and between you receiving that story and it going to print, I mean, if it's a story that that is something huge, say like the tragedy this week that mm-hmm. obviously needs to be discussed immediately, is that something that you would be given web priority? Because It's given web priority because we need to immediately establish our presence as covering the story. Right. So when the massacre in Connecticut occurred, I sent three people up to Connecticut, which was harder to do than you'd expect from sending someone from New York City to Connecticut. The traffic is awful. Yeah. Uh, and renting a car at this time of year is not easy. But uh, they're up there. Uh, they've been there since Friday. They'll probably be in there till tomorrow or Tuesday. Uh, and they're there primarily to write web stories. Mm-hmm. And we will take what is done on the web and try to figure out how that translates into a magazine story. Magazine stories are... So, especially weekly magazine stories are so weird now or different now because people don't go to magazines to read what happened in last week's mm-hmm. news. You have right. to deliver something new. Uh, so you can't just tell them, oh, this happened last week because they've heard that twice or four times by the time they pick up the magazine. So, I mean, so the, the purpose to pick up the magazine is to, to get a much more in-depth Yes, story. you would get, right. give them a more feature-ish story, mm-hmm. even if it's a news story, you would give them more details, or tell them about something that they that 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 the daily minute-by-minute news that you, they have online or on the 24-hour news shows can't deliver. Mm-hmm. And so, do, do they kind of maybe send you just like quick emails, quick Twitter updates, and, and you kind of process that into oh, we write like full, bits? We, we write full stories on, mm-hmm. on the website, as well as... When it was, when, when, for example, just to take the example of what happened in Connecticut, when it was happening, and we were just, our people were on the way, we, would, we sort of live blogged what was mm-hmm. happening and all the developments so people could follow it along as we were following it ourselves. Right. And then once we got our people there, then they would write fuller stories. So I, I imagine you, you, you didn't just come on to Time Magazine as news director. Uh, how, did, how did that process happen? How did you kind of move up to that? Oh, I started as a one-day-a-week secretary in the nation section at Time. I was in Columbia Journalism School at the time. Uh, and there was a one-day, the Saturday secretary spot was open. 
And so I, 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 uh, what my job was to answer phones, uh, buy cigarettes for some of the editors, <laughs> uh, buy lunch, pick up lunch. And if I filled in on a Friday night, I would fill out and pick up the Friday night alcohol quota for the section. <laughs> so you, were, so you bartended. <laughs> I was a bartender, yes. Yeah, everybody's got to start somewhere. <laughs> I did not mix the drinks. They, w- they would complain. Oh. They mixed their own drinks. <laughs> and so then you, 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 kind of, you moved up in the ranks. I and moved up in the ranks. They couldn't get rid of me. I, I, stayed, I ran away for about, in about 1991, 92. I ran away and worked for People Magazine, which was the same company. So it was just took, it was mm. two, one, the same elevator bank. I just went up two more floors. Where's and pe- I came back. Is People in L.A.? People's here in uh, oh, New people's York. Here in New York. Yeah, oh. same building as time. And so, so as a as a journalist, what do you what sort of stories are you most proud of? What do you what do you like to write, or or what stories have you sent people out on that that you feel came to came to the perfect closure? The way that well, there all news stories may appear to have closure, but they don't. Okay, sure. We try They're to tell stories, evolving. but nothing really closes. But the stories that I'm proudest of are are war coverage in both Afghanistan. And uh, and Iraq, as well as our current coverage of the Middle East since uh, 2011, since the Arab Spring, uh, our coverage of uh, 9/11 uh, was, I think, quite very good because it happened in in our front yard, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, everyone in the office in New York at the time, I sent out to report the story. The entire building, uh, the entire Time Magazine staff went out, and everyone was a reporter. How many? How many people is that? That would be have been about two hundred people. Wow! Because mm-hmm. some people were downtown; they were seeing mm-hmm. every everyone. Our one of our art directors was taking her daughter to work, and so everything happened. So everyone brought stories in, and they everyone was a reporter. They had seen; they they saw what was going on. So does that issue have exclusively September eleventh content? There was a issue that we came out with two days after the event. Uh, it was a special issue. It was the only black bordered issue of time. Uh, and there, there, there are copies out there. They're a little rare, but they're they're they're, they're out there. So, you know, doing covering something like September 11th, I hate to do this segue, but you know that's you know, such a, a tender spot for New Yorkers, and and I think also another part about being a New Yorker is being is eating here. And and I know after uh, Hurricane Sandy, there was the tip up dine down, right. you know, dining down in in, in Lower Manhattan, and and I think. Uh, I know the same thing happened for exactly, uh, and that's how I uh, that's how I became a regular at my first regular restaurant, because I would wander down as far as I could, and in the beginning you couldn't even get down to really the middle of the village. But then you, I ended up wandering through the village after going down as close to downtown as I could, Mm -hmm. and then you couldn't, you weren't allowed down. So I would then figure out it's late in the day. I'm very hungry. Where do I eat? Uh, and one of the places that uh, that made me feel very, very comfortable because the staff was very warm and the food was spectacularly good was Anissa. Uh, it's on 13 Barrow Street. So it was just more or less, at one point, the barrier was not too far away from going downtown. So mm-hmm. I would end up sitting down, having a wonderful time, eating at the bar, uh, got to know the owners, got to know the bartenders, got to know the staff, and I've been going there for... Uh, since they basically, I, I I first went in 
20, in the year 2000 when they opened. But I became a regular in two, after 2001. So you almost pay part of their rent. Uh, you can tell Anita Lowe that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to bring it up. <laughs> and so, what other what other restaurants? I know, I'm you know I know you work you work uptown or I, mean, I, not w- super I work in uptown, Midtown. I work in, in Rockefeller Center. And then you, I'm assuming, live a little farther. I, I live. It may seem because uh, you know me from downtown. Mm-hmm. That I live downtown. I live on the Upper West Side. Oh wow! So, but a do food you, desert. You, you choose. <laughs> okay, exactly. So you choose. You choose to go downtown. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, it's not a real food for desert, dinner. But. So, what other restaurants do you frequent? Uh, I do like Blue Hill down on Washington Place, uh, which is not that far from Manisa. No. I, I tend to all my 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 favorite restaurants are more or less in one area. Uh, it makes it convenient if one place is packed, I go to the other. And uh, I do like going to Tertulia, which is relatively new. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Wong on Cornelia Street, which is just about a year old itself. And I, and I just ate there, and I had an incredible meal. I would encourage people. No, no, to, it's a lovely, lovely. The, the food is wonderful. Simpson Wong is a very, very good chef. Uh, I like Reset. Uh, Jesse Schenker is the chef there. Uh, I go there at least once a month because he does this thing where he throws out his menu on the second Monday of every month. Uh, he calls it Mondays with Jesse. And then he, he comes up with a 10-course, an original 10-course tasting, mm. which is quite spectacular. Wow. I, I mean, I, and I was just, I feel, I feel like an idiot. His name is Jesse, and I don't even know uh, his yes, restaurant. Yes, you should come and <laughs> check out Jesse's food, Jesse. So <laughs> as far as, as, as restaurant uh, regular culture in New York City, do you feel like you know, I guess what what does it mean to be a regular? Uh, it what means, makes a good regular? I'm not quite sure what makes a good regular and and what makes you re- what why why I want I like being a regular is a different thing. Mm-hmm. I might not be a good regular, but I am a regular. Uh, I like being a regular because you walk in and people know your name, mm-hmm. as they say, and you're comfortable. You're warm. Imme- you you feel warm immediately. Uh, I, I live by myself. I have no other family in the city. Mm-hmm. I walk into restaurants. I feel like I'm home. So uh, it's part of an extra part of like paying the rent. It's mm-hmm. you know you go out and enjoy yourself, uh, and uh, that's why I like being a regular. Uh, I'm why restaurants like regulars because then they bring they pass the word around to their friends, bring other people around. Uh, they can count on their presence to to fill you know the bar to make it look 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 like a more a place where people like to go mm-hmm. to I, I'm not sure I'm not I sure think there's a there's an and Jesse and I both work in the food industry mm-hmm. and I think there's um, this unspoken code with servers and bartis- bartenders and managers with our regulars which is even on you know the most shit night when when you hate everyone there it's you see that the the guy or the gal that you see on a regular basis mm-hmm. that knows the menu, that knows your name, that knows your story, that yeah. knows things perhaps about your family. And when they come in and sit at the bar or sit in your section, it's different because like you said, your family. Mm-hmm. And um, we both work in neighborhood places. I work, you know, in a, in a restaurant where we have a lot of neighborhood regulars and it is a lot of people that come in by themselves and it's the same thing. Those, I have a couple of people who will come in and just sit for three hours and, mm-hmm. you know, talk about life and what we're reading. And it, that is, it is such a cool... Um, meeting of the cultures there because I'm technically at work on my side of things as a server I'm working Mm -hmm. but if you know you walk in the door and I'm used to seeing you two or three days a week it's it's such a lovely thing for me not just for the business but personally it's a special 
it's a special relationship. Well, and I wonder if it if it is. I mean, it can't be exclusively New York, but if it's more prevalent in New York, you know, just to well, have someone. I, like the I mean, neighborhood I guess because thing your in restaurant New York is, yeah. is, is, you know, that's that's what we are. We are we are New York is a small neighborhood. I mean, as vast a city as it is, and how how many different little pockets of of cultures and um, ideas we have. It it is New York is, and you know, it's little pockets of neighborhoods. And I was, you know, I was remarking to a relative the other day who had who had never been to New York. I'm from Kentucky, and they said, "Well, isn't everybody mean there?" And I said, "No, you. <laughs> if you you're really not mean? a regular, they're mean <laughs> to you." Yes, <laughs> I, but I said, "No, there is a sense of community that's palpable here. It maybe is manifested differently than it is in other parts of the country, mm-hmm. but I I feel like this is such a, a prime example of that. You know, you've got your neighborhoods, you've got the places you frequent." all the time and that's your little universe when what is gonna, i was i was just about to say like maybe it does speak to the service and the the warmness of of new yorkers and people who who work in the food industry um and i think that's a beautiful thing that that you can have someone come in almost almost every single day to your restaurant and be happy to sit down it's also funny because you never know who or what that person is Right, we know. I I, ha, I say I have relationships with these people that I see on a, mm-hmm. almost a daily basis, and there are a few that I found found things out about. You know wh- what they do professionally or what they've accomplished, and it's like, oh my goodness, I forget. Because to me, you know, they're just that woman who always sits on table three and always orders the mussels. You know, and it's, right. But it's like, oh wow, she is you know a poet laureate. It's and <laughs> it, it broadens everyone's sort of experiences of the city, not only the regulars, but of course the servers. Everyone learn something from everyone so you feel like you have a fuller life so do you meet other regulars yes yes because that scary. always freaks me out <laughs> when regulars know each other <laughs> and then they, they start the plotting against the place but no 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 we it's really wonderful to meet other regulars because then you feel like you, you've met the other members of the club yeah right and you, you feel a greater sense of belonging it's really kind of wonderful well howard i know that you have to to get moving on and and Unfortunately, doing some work tonight. Thanks for talking to us today, yeah, though. No, 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 my pleasure, by. my pleasure. Now I have to think about where I'm going to eat tonight. Maybe Moreo. I'm not sure. I think <sighs> that's a good idea. That sounds Can yeah, I come? Near the office. <laughs> Speaking of eating, when we return after the break, we are going to find out what's on the menu at our favorite restaurant, Chardonnay's. What's on the menu at Chardonnay's? The morning after. You're listening to Leaving by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org today.
And we're back on the morning after. We are so back. I do not have a mouthful of pizza. Well, Joe, I mean, luckily, doing the show at Roberta's, uh, you know, allots us all of this pizza to constantly eat. And no, we are not 300 pounds yet. We are svelte and slim <laughs> ladies on the town. It's because this is all we eat. That's it. <laughs> and just coffee. And I'm going on a diet after this. That's not true. I believe you and I consumed together a hazelnut chocolate tart just yesterday. We didn't eat the whole things. thing. We didn't eat the whole thing. You're right. We left a little bit. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we went to All Good Things, which is nothing like our favorite restaurant it's of not. the past. What is that favorite restaurant? Answering that age-old question for us this week is a good friend of mine, a fellow industry companion, and uh, all-around funny man, Douglas Calhoun, who has a lovely online journal called The Queer Interior, features... uh, uh, different spaces and design elements in the queer community, Brooklyn specific. It's fantastic. You should check it out. Uh, in the meantime, let's see what Douglas had to say about Chardonnays, shall we? Oh. Where does that keep coming from? I'm here with Douglas Calhoun from thequeerinterior.com and Fort Defiance in Red Hook. Douglas, what is on the menu at Chardonnay's? Tonight, Chardonnay's, we've got a cocktail special. It's actually Chardonnay, Chartreuse, and Champagne that we're mixing together with olive juice. Um, For appetizers, we're doing an olive brined tomato potato skin. And it's super delicious. We're just putting a little bit of paprika on there. And then with entrees, we're doing a steak. Just we throw that steak in the street and we rub it down with some asphalt, and then we um, uh, brine it with a little white wine, and it's super delicious. Thanks, Doug. Definitely, definitely the most colorful installment of Chardonnays. Douglas told me before I started recording last night. He said, "You know, I really want to, I want to go back to one of those like bad Midwestern restaurants. I thought that they were being foodies and they were doing like weird abstract reductions and." Calling everything reductions. I said, okay, I think that's where the asphalt comes in. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) Anyway, that was, you know, what's on the menu at Chardonnay's. I don't know how we could afford Sade, but thank God we got her. God, I mean, you must have done a favor or something. Well... We were very close in the '90s. Got it. I actually think that that uh, that style of cuisine, the the uh, the asphalt steak, is called street to table, <laughs> gutter to table, <laughs> gutter to table. And here we have a bloody possum thigh served over some old newspaper <laughs> with dried leaves as a garnish. <laughs> this has been a great show, Jen. This has been a great show. I hate to see it end. This is the morning after on, on Heritage, Heritage Radio, Radio Network. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.